morning. Good morning. Happy Easter to you. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And he is our hope, our reward, our joy. He's the reason why we are here this morning, this Resurrection Sunday. If you're visiting with us, we are so glad you're here. If you've never visited with us before, we'd love if you would take one of those blue cards in the pew, fill it out, drop it in the offering plate on your way out. Promise not to harass you. Just want to know that you were here with us. If you're visiting online, you can look uh, at the description below the video and find a link where you can connect uh, through a digital bulletin. And you can go down to the bottom of that and fill that out, and we'd love to know that you're with us. A few announcements before we get right into the service. First of all, business meeting uh, for April is next Sunday night, and in the foyer you'll find uh, an agenda, and if you need to add anything to the agenda, please see me by Wednesday. Also, next Sunday there will be a VBS team, uh, VBS workers meeting right after worship. So if you're interested in working uh, at VBS, you'll see the dates there in the bulletin. If you'll just simply go to the fellowship hall after worship, and if you have any questions about this meeting, if you'll visit with Carrie Owen. One final thing to mention, actually two things left to mention. Um, we are still taking collections for the blessing boxes for Arctic Barnabas Ministries. If you're interested in helping out with that, there is a list on the back table. And we will collect, uh, we will send that collection of donations April 15th to Alaska. But one final thing to mention, uh, there will be no activities tonight. There will be no youth, no prayer meeting, no ladies prayer group, none of those things. So we can all enjoy our Easter. Any other announcements that need to be made at this time? Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll have a time of worship. Father, we thank you that those who went to find the Savior encountered an empty tomb. The angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. We have a risen Savior. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is our reward. Lord, help us to worship in spirit and truth today. We ask in Christ's name. Stone's been rolled away Now his body isn't there 
friend toward the garden. Then John ran on ahead. He found the stone and the empty tomb just the way that Mary said. But the winding sheet that wrapped him in was just an empty shell. Imagine being that disciple that day, the fear of knowing that because you were with him, they would come for you. And his only real shame and pain was the fact that he had betrayed Christ. He was afraid of them coming, but he really thought, that's what I deserve. And then he realized he's alive. All this other stuff doesn't matter anymore. Let's stand together and sing. Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to read two verses of scripture. One you probably would expect me to read on this day. The other one, maybe not. Matthew 28, beginning with verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who, is cruci- who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with great fear and great with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to, to Galilee, and there they will see me. Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne 
a mighty scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Elders fell down and worshipped. He is worthy. The Lamb who was slain and is now risen is worthy. Let's continue worshiping Him.
God, that is such truth. How hopeless we would be without you. How hopeless and lost we would be if you did not live. This morning as we gather as your people, we know your word says you envelop the praises of your people. And God, you are strong here today. Overwhelm us with truth of the gospel.
God be glorified in this place today. Break our hearts for the sin in our lives. And change us to become more like your son. In the name of Jesus alone we pray. Now God's people say. Go ahead, please take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 26, 23, Romans 6, 23. Excuse me. If you don't have a Bible, you should find a hardback black one somewhere around you. You'll turn to the back of the the Bible because it renumbered. It starts over at 1 in the New Testament. You'll turn to the back and find page 122. You will be... At Romans 6.23. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. And this is God's word. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father we are grateful today that Christ Jesus is Lord. The resurrection proved that. He's Lord of our salvation. He's Lord of our future. He's Lord of our present. We gladly acknowledge that. Lord, if there are any here that do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I pray that the plain truth would be evident to them and they would put their faith and trust in Christ. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning I've entitled the message, The Plain Truth or A Plain Truth, Why the Resurrection Matters. Having said that, you might think, well, Pastor, I don't quite understand because the verse that you referenced said nothing about the resurrection. You're going to talk about why the resurrection matters, but then you pick a verse that doesn't talk about the resurrection. Well, I'm going to endeavor to show you that this text is perfectly fit for helping us to understand why the resurrection matters. This verse begins with a very hard truth, a very plain truth. The wages of sin is death. But then the verse ends with a hopeful word. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The hard word at the beginning becomes a hopeful word at the end because of that that little bitty word, three letters long. But, but. And it is, it is there that I submit to you that the hard word becomes a hopeful word because of Christ's resurrection. Now there are five truths that this text has for us this morning that I want to pull out and elaborate on. And again, this is the plain truth. The plain truth. The first truth I want to bring out in the text is a great rebellion. A great rebellion. You find the word in the text, sin. For the wages of sin is death. For our purposes, it might be helpful to to put a little bit more of a definition by just saying it's sin. We need to know a little bit more about what what could we use to understand sin better. I've I've used this definition before and I think it, it works well. Sin is any disobedience or transgression of God's law. Now I want you to notice there, it says any disobedience or transgression of God's law. God's law is the standard. His holy character is revealed in His holy word. And Anyone who disobeys or transgresses that law is guilty of sin. 
Now let's go a little bit farther. Disobedience. Disobedience means that you do what God forbids. It's plain in His Word what you are not to do, and you throw caution to the wind and act in rebellion toward God, and you do what He forbids. He says, Thou shalt not, and you said, I'm sorry I didn't hear you. It kind of got garbled in transmission. Disobedience is doing what God forbids. Transgression, on the other hand, is not being or doing what God requires. So I want us to make sure we don't miss this. There's an aspect of sin that has to do with your actions. But there's another aspect that's even deeper. And it's the thoughts, the attitudes, the the actions that come from a person's heart. God not only wants people who when He says don't, they, they don't. He wants people to go further. He wants them to be what He's called them to be and to do what He's called them to do. It's not just about the don't, it's about the do's and it's about the be. So sin is any disobedience or transgression of God's law. Now sin came into the world through one man. That's Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Paul of course here is referring to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 where there's the creation of the world. God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh, called it good. He created Adam from the dust of the earth. He took a rib from Adam and created Eve. He put them in the Garden of Eden and he said, you can... You are to take care of it, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, rule over it. But do not eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you do it, you will surely die. And we know how the story goes. The serpent tempted Eve. She took the fruit and ate, gave it to Adam. And this verse came true. Sin came into the world through one man. Therefore it means... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, when you come out of the womb, you are part of the rebellion against God. That is the plain truth. You're a part of a great rebellion. And of course, by great, I'm not using the word great like Tony the Tiger does when he talks about the you know, frosted flakes being great. It's more like the Great Depression. There's nothing great about the Great Depression. There's nothing great about being involved in this great rebellion against God because it leads to a grim reality. The grim reality is very simply this. The wages of that sin is death. This is the second truth in the text. The wages of sin is death. Wages are are something that you are given because you've earned them. Paul wants us to understand that a person who sins earns the wage of death. Back to Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. The wages of sin is death. It was true for Adam and Eve. But I know you know this. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, did they die immediately? No. Not physically anyway. They died spiritually. And I'm going to go in and I'm going to use some scriptures to help us to understand what God meant 
in Genesis 2.17 when he told Adam and Eve, In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Not only them, but then as Paul says, death spread to all men because all sinned. What does God mean when he said, In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die? Psalm 14 verse 1 helps us to understand. The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. In other words, Paul, uh, God through the psalmist is saying, all sinners have a corrupt heart. It doesn't mean that they, can be, they can't be good people. They can. But that goodness covers up a corrupt heart. That is the plain truth. So part of what God means by, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. The wages of sin is death. A person born into this world is born into the rebellion and is born with a corrupt heart. Paul explains this a little bit more in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul wants us to understand that all people are born into a sinful world, and that sinful world exerts its control over every person. Not only that, sin lives in every person. They have a corrupt heart. Now let's say that it were possible that you could go to a monastery and get out of the sinful world in which we live. Furthermore, if you could day and night spend your hours praying and and searching your heart for sin, trying to cleanse yourself and purify yourself of all sin, Paul says, not only do you live in a sinful world and you are under its control, sin is in you and it controls you, you are, by nature, children of wrath. That is the grim reality. Such that Romans 5.18 helps us to understand one trespass, Adam's one trespass, led to condemnation. A person who is spiritually dead is morally corrupt, and they are spiritually condemned. The third truth I want to bring out is a gracious response. Now you know in in chapter 6 verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. And God had every right. Who would have questioned Him if that would have been it? No second chance. No way out. The wages of sin is death. Here's your sentence. When we get some sort of bad news, isn't there part of us that is saying, yes, but is there a but? I know this sounds really, really bad, but is there a but? Surely there's some hope here. Well, there is in this text. For the wages of sin is death. But, I've been told 
that when pastors preach sermons, they ought to have two goals in mind. One is to comfort those who are afflicted. And you may have heard these two points, that you are a part of a great rebellion, and therefore you have a grim reality, and you wonder, is there any hope for me? And I'm here to bring you comfort. There is the free gift of God. It's God's gracious response. God owed no one anything. But out of His grace, He gave to sinners a gift that they could not earn. Notice how Paul contrasts. There's wages and then there's a free gift. There's death and then there's eternal life. God's gracious response was to give a free gift. How did He give that gift? People are ransomed through a resurrected Redeemer. People are ransomed through a resurrected Redeemer. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. In other words... People who are caught in the slavery of sin. Jesus, by His very sacrifice, His blood, His precious blood, was a ransom to free sinners from slavery. And to prove that that ransom had been paid in full. What did God do? He raised Christ on the third day. So that people may know that there is nothing else that needs to be done in order for a person to receive the free gift of God. And having paid the ransom and been resurrected, Jesus now is a redeemer. He's one who bought us back when we wandered off in sin. Now I want to read a verse of Scripture that I think we we absolutely must not pass over on a day like this. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Why does the resurrection matter? Paul says in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul stresses how crucial the resurrection is to salvation. If Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sins. There's no hope. But he says in verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Because He's been raised from the dead, we know the ransom has been paid. and Those who come to Christ in faith have been redeemed. The next truth in the text, truth number four, is that there is a glorious reward. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to notice the words there. Eternal life in Christ Jesus. That means that Jesus Christ, the resurrected Redeemer, we are in union with Him. And not only was He the ransom that was paid for our sin, He is the reward. So often, I think, people consider eternal life and rob it of its joy and glory by not associating it with the reward of Jesus Christ. Cut off from the Lord in our sin. And God graciously responded to give us life. But life is found not just in living in heaven after we die, but being union in union with Christ. Being unified to Him. He is the greatest gift God could give us. The fifth truth. A glad reverence. A glad reverence. Notice how the verse ends. For by grace, I'm sorry, the wages, I'm thinking of another verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you revere someone, you honor them, you honor their position. On this day, when we stop and think that the Savior, Gave up the glories of heaven. Didn't think it was something to be held on to at all costs. Emptied himself, came to the earth. Was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then he was resurrected for us. Proving not only that the ransom had been paid, but also that Jesus Christ is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. How can that not produce glad reverence in us? This man who loved us so much willingly laid down his life for us. I am glad to call him Lord. He is mine and I am his. And I willingly submit my life to him. I relinquish all control to my life. I willingly lay down my life before him in reverence to who he is. I believe these are the five truths that this text wants us to understand. But there's one more truth. That we must understand. If you are going to experience and enjoy what Christ has done in His death and resurrection. It requires a genuine rebirth. The hard word that Romans 6.23 begins with becomes a hopeful word because of Christ's death and resurrection. But we must consider this final truth. Unless you are born again, you don't have this hope. By genuine rebirth, and I'm not aiming to get into any kind of a theological struggle here. I know these two things are 100% true. One, you must be raised with Christ. You must be born again. Notice again in in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Do dead people do anything to help themselves? No, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again from above. That must happen in a person's life if they are going to experience what Christ has done in His death and resurrection. But there's one more. And this is equally true. You must repent and believe. 
You must repent and believe that what Jesus Christ did, what I've explained to you, you must believe that you are a part of a great rebellion. And as such, you have a grim reality. But God gave a gracious response in sending His Son so that we might have a glorious reward and gladly show reverence to Christ by giving our lives to Him. But you must repent and believe. You must believe those things. Repent simply means to turn. Repent, turn from your sin. Turn from the sin, the disobedience, the transgression of God's law that will damn you to an eternal hell. Turn to Christ, the only person who can save you from that hell. Repent of any supposed self-righteousness. Any righteousness you think you will have to offer to God is nothing but filthy rags in His sight. Turn from any self-righteousness you think you have and come to God through Christ's perfect righteousness. I suspect many of us here today have already done that. But I want you to stop and consider this one last appeal to repentance. Repent of your self-deception. told you earlier that the goal, I was told this before about when a, a pastor preaches is to comfort those who are afflicted, but another thing he has to do in the text, in the preaching, in the sermon, is to afflict those who are comfortable. Perhaps this day you are comfortable in your self-deception. If I have a vehicle that, the, and I know nothing about cars, so I'm about to show some ignorance, if the piston rings are shot and there's oil getting into the pistons and it's smoking like crazy and then the transmission it goes when you try to put it in gear and then when you're driving down the road a tire does this and then your alignment is off and so you're constantly having to fight it want to go in the ditch and you take it to a repair shop And when you go get that from the repair shop and you start at the vehicle, you find that the piston rings have not been addressed. It's still smoking like crazy. That the tire is still wobbly and there's still this out of alignment in the front. And that the transmission is still not working right. Would you have any grounds for believing that the vehicle has been truly repaired? No, you would not. Listen to what... Paul says about those who have come to Christ. Listen, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you hear that? That we might become the righteousness of God, not stay the same. Paul says again in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When When Jesus died and was resurrected, it did not immediately fix everything. But it was a new beginning that promised a glorious ending. 
And we can see evidence of this in the New Testament. In, we can see evidence of this new beginning and its progress in the book of Acts and in the New Testament epistles. And when a person comes to Christ by faith in His finished work on the cross, and that person is raised with Him, it doesn't immediately fix everything. We still struggle with sin. But it is a new beginning that promises a glorious ending. We can see progress. Paul says in Colossians 3.1, If you've been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We'll see progress in an ever-increasing presence of the fruit of the Spirit. A growing concern for the church, for Christ's kingdom, for holiness, for the lost. We'll see a growing love for Christ Jesus and a desire, like Paul in Philippians 3, to know Him. To have a God-glorifying satisfaction in Jesus. So if there is no evidence of this new beginning in a person, would we not conclude that this person is self-deceived? And therefore, still a part of the great rebellion against God. And furthermore, caught in the grim reality of the wages of their sin. We're to repent. But not only repent, believe. Believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. He alone is the, is the way that one finds salvation. When you have been reborn, you will understand why the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters. You will understand that you were, past tense, a rebel. And that God owed you absolutely nothing. He could have left you in your grim reality. Instead, His gracious response made the way for you to enjoy the glorious reward of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And when those things come together through the influence, through the effects of the Holy Spirit in your life, it will produce great joy. People will see a change. I want to appeal to you today. If you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the plain truth is the wages of your sin is death. But God has a free gift for you in Christ if you will repent of your sins and receive it. Will you do that today? Father, we thank you for the plain truth. We thank you that you have made it plain to us. And I pray that all that has been said today has penetrated stony hearts. And that the Holy Spirit has touched lives and given people a genuine rebirth. Lord, help these people to repent of their sins and to believe in Jesus Christ. Lord, if there are any here today that find that they have been self-deceived, Lord, please don't let them leave. Don't let them leave here deceived that just because they shook the pastor's hand or filled out a card or wrote their name and a date in the Bible, that they're good when their life is completely unchanged. Father, we commit this time to you and we ask it in Christ's name.
we're going to stand and sing in times like these. I want to encourage you, if you need to make any sort of decision today, please don't wait. Please come. good to see you today. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you chose to come and spend your Resurrection Sunday worship time with us. Amen.